Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Welcome back, Influencers. This is episode 229 of Maximize Your Influence. And today we're going to have some fun. How do you deal with those hecklers, those hostile audiences, the indifferent people? Good stuff you could use whether you're with family or at work or an entrepreneur. No matter what you do, you've got to deal with these type of people. Getting ready to go to Vegas to do a training down there in that city. Not my favorite place in the world, especially by the time you park, walk to the entrance, find the registration, get to your room. I mean, these are massive places, number one. Number two, it's built so everything's in the middle, so you have to walk through the casino to get to everything. Yeah, and parking's free, so it's way far away. That's my biggest pet peeve, I guess I'll call it. Gonna do there, do some training, have some fun with that. Hope everyone's mastering these skills, becoming more persuasive, achieving your goals. Let me know how it's going. Reach me at Kurt, K-U-R-T, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. You could also pick up the latest episode at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. And if you want to get to the archives, if you want to get to the archives for free, it's InfluenceUniversity.com. Also home of our 52-week Mastery PhD Advanced Persuasion Influence Motivation Program. That's our housekeeping today. Make sure you check us out on Twitter at InfluenceMax, on Spotify, and of course, YouTube at Maximize Your Influence. So let's dive into it. Let's hear the sound. That would be the sound of the geeky article of the week. This comes from New York University and, and the journal, Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, your favorite and mine. It talks about stress can diminish our ability to assess new threats, which is kind of counterintuitive. People thought stress more alert. We're assessing dangers. But... Dr. Rio, hopefully I'm saying that one right, says stress does not always increase perceptions of danger in the environment as often as it has been assumed. In fact, the study they did, they found out when people are under stress, they pay less attention to changes in the environment, which you know would put us at risk if we're ignoring new sources of threats. So what they found is that stress can reduce flexibility, our responses to threats, and impairing, get this one, impairing how we track and update predictions especially in dangerous situations. So they had people watching images on a computer screen. And again, they were shocking people, doing the whole Pavlovian dog thing. <laughs> but it put people under stress, which releases stress hormones like alpha myelis, cortisol, that type of thing, if you're into that. And the bottom line is they ran them through this test. Basically, the brain didn't work that well. And why is that important to you? Well, if you're giving presentations or you're stressed about a client or a customer or an interview or a meeting... You've got to get your brain in the right place. Otherwise, you're not going to be on your toes. You're not going to be thinking very clearly. You are going to be impaired. So whatever you need to do, whether it's breathing, walking, visualization, what works for you, do not go into a situation where you're highly stressed because you're not going to be 100%. So that I'd let you know. Interesting article from the National Academy of Sciences. Of course, we'll post that at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Next piece of the program, we've got to get into the blunder. Home or go. Don't, don't, don't. 
All right, our persuasion blunder of the week is going to carry on from last week. Hopefully you tuned in last week in episode 228 where we talked about the art and science of handling objections. It was the whole jewelry store thing, probably top of the list up there with used car dealers. Uh, Not very good in their persuasion. Now, careful if you're in cars or jewelry, don't get bad. What I've noticed in those industries, you're either best of the best or worst of the worst. There's really no middle ground, and this was worst of the worst. We talked about how they self-negotiated last week, and we all know the high markup in jewelry. But this sales rep also did something that was very annoying. It is a tool of persuasion, but it's usually used way too soon. It's known as the presupposition. Car dealers, what do I got to do to get you in a car today? Do you want that delivered Wednesday or Thursday? This rep was, do you want to look at the $500 or $700 bracelets? I, I just walked into the store. And he used this presupposition, and sometimes it's called an alternative close, but you can't close before you open, especially with a presupposition. Now, you know you're offended at a car dealership. You're going to love how this car handles in the mountains. That's a presupposition. It presupposes you're going to buy it and drive it in the mountains. Now, there's a time and place for that, but if you have not identified their what's in it for them, if they're not excited, if they're not emotionally involved, a presupposition will backfire on you every time because you're using it too soon. Again, when they're emotionally involved and they're thinking about it and you help them visualize using it or doing it, now a presupposition has its time and place. I've said it time and time again, the way you open up a persuasive situation or a sell or a negotiation is much more important on how you close it. In fact, if you do the opening right and the presentation right, they're going to close themselves. They're going to persuade themselves and that's always your goal as a persuader. So let's get into the meat of our podcast today. It's what I teach when I do train the trainer or persuasive presentations or public speaking. There's the maintenance and control of your audience, which could be one person or a hundred or a thousand people. You've got to decide who is in control. Now, it depends on your audience type. It depends on how you handle questions and objections, and it depends on you handle the heckler. Okay, I want to address those. We've talked about questions and objections. We did that last week. Check that one off the list. If you haven't heard that, of course, MaximizeYourInfluence.com. But the audience type does matter. If you know you're dealing with a hostile audience, they're upset, they don't like you, they don't like your message, they want to go with a competitor, something's wrong, you've did something to make them mad, whatever it is, don't start with an attack. You need to find common ground. I mean, that's your goal. You have to find that common ground, something that you all believe on. Show them that you're on the same team, those common beliefs. Get into logical reasoning, get the blood back in their brain. Maybe a little humor to break the ice. If you know it's going to work, make sure you've done your homework about them and they need to see that in your presentation. And try to get someone there that they respect to introduce you, to give you an introduction. It can be very helpful in a hostile audience. Now, obviously, dealing with a supportive audience, I'm not going to go into that, or in an uninformed audience. The other one that we have a challenge with a lot of times with maintenance control is the worst for any persuader in the world is the indifferent audience. (laughs) They don't care. They don't want to care. Why do you care? Right? The indifferent audience. You've got to spell out the benefits. What's in it for them? Why should they care? You've got 30, 60 seconds to grab their attention and show them the pain. Show them how it's going to make them. How much money they're going to lose. Is it a health thing? Is it a wealth thing? they got to find out right away. And point out the downside, that pain. That's going to happen if they do nothing. This type of audience gets more engaged when you use stories. If you want more in stories... Podcast 181, I interviewed Paul Smith, who's an expert on how to engage and persuade with stories. And with this indifferent audience, keep it simple. 
And what's in it for them? You've got to grab their attention. You've got to get them to care. So let's get into the heckling. I want to do something a little different here. I've pulled some uh, audio and video clips. Well, obviously, you're going to have to hear the audio as I do these of some great famous heckling, some examples of heckling, especially in politics. I'm very neutral in politics, and so I'm going to pull from both sides as far as different ways people handle the heckler. Now, this is coming from, I got a letter this week from Frank, Eugene, Oregon, wanted to know about heckling and why I always bring up heckling and why I bring in a heckler to my public speaking courses. <laughs> because if you can't handle a heckler, it will destroy you. Now, it could be somebody in your company that makes you look bad. You know, what is a heckler? I mean, really, what is a heckler? It's a disruption. Someone's trying to make you look bad. And there's two categories here. There's the venom, I don't like you, I'm pulling you down, I'm going to make you look bad, heckle. And then there's the clueless heckle with the baby crying or on the cell phone or falling asleep or asking too many dumb questions of clueless. And that's the first thing you got to gauge. Is this pure venom or is this clueless? In fact, listen to this one. Here's a little boy. His face is all painted. He's getting ready to get on the news. And listen to what happens. We're live at the Waterfront Village with my friend, the zombie, Jonathan. You're looking good. Jonathan just got an awesome face paint job. What do you think? I like turtles. All right. You're great zombie. And Good times here at the Waterfront Village, open for the next... Okay. She handled that pretty well. He was supposed to talk about something completely different. She's like, I like turtles. Okay. And she rolled with it. She didn't get upset and say it wasn't fair. Why did you do that? We rehearsed a different thing. She just rolled with it. And that's the key. It's teasing. I mean, why did you tease growing up? You wanted a reaction. And if people see that you're getting upset, you're getting angry, you're getting flustered, you're getting emotionally involved, they're going to keep heckling you because they like it. It's a power thing. Remember, you are in control. Don't let it get to you. I know it's not fair and you spent hours on this presentation and they shouldn't do that. Well, probably true, but it's still going to happen. We've seen comedians, and I'm not going to name names here, that was on a comedy circuit TV show and boom, got heckled. Wow, said some things, very racially charged things, and they hasn't been seen since because he got upset and didn't stay in control. So I'm going to talk about different stages of heckling, but before I do, let me talk about the textbook heckle of all time. Ronald Reagan was in a debate. Obviously, the person running the debate did not like him. Asked a very loaded question about his age. Because he was over 80 years old. Listen to this. You already are the oldest president in history, and some of your staff say you were tired after your most recent encounter with Mr. Mr. Uh, Mondale. Um, I recall yet that President Kennedy had to go for days on end with very little sleep during the Cuba Missile Crisis. Is there any doubt in your mind that you would be able to function in such circumstances? Not at all, Mr. Truett, and I, and I want you to know that also I will not make age an issue of this campaign. I am not going to exploit for political purposes, my opponent's youth and inexperience. <laughs> okay, wasn't that awesome? He smiled. It didn't get to him. It was mean. It was a mean comment. It was venom. It was pure venom. He was looking to drag him down, but he smiled. It didn't get to him. Used a little humor. His opponent even laughed. Humor is an incredible way at any stage to handle hecklers. Here's another one. Listen to this audio. This is President Obama. And these politicians, they make sure that in their audiences, and everyone's guilty of this one, that it's just full of people that usually support them. A few people sneak in because they lie, but they make sure they're surrounded by people. And 
That's one of the things we're going to talk about, using your audience. Listen to the way handles this heckler. The future is there for us to seize, but we've got to, we've got to seize it. And if, and if we do, then I guarantee you, hold, I, I agree with you, although why don't I talk about it later because I'm just about to finish. You and me, we'll talk about it. All right, I'm going to be coming around. There you go. I agree with you. I want to hear from you. I love you back. You, you, you kind of screwed up my ending, but that's okay. The, uh, that's okay. And we've got free speech in this country. Which is great, too. All right. Rolls with it. He said, I love you. Let's talk about it. I agree. And that's a big lesson with hecklers. If you just agree, roll on. We'll talk about it later. You can diffuse it. He got the audience involved. He says, hey, you're screwing up my presentation here. He did it with a smile. Probably inside he was mad. Not cool. Not fair. Not fun. Why are you doing this? Trying the best I can. Those type of things go through our mind. But those are classic ways to handle a heckler. So let's get into these stages. Realize that, okay, is this clueless? They have no idea. They have no filter. They don't know that being late's rude or talking on your cell phone or or asking a question every two minutes is lame and rude. Or is it that venom? I'm making you look bad because I want your position. Whatever it is. So here are the first stages. First stage is acknowledge. Smile, pause. Sometimes when it's just getting started, ignore it. See if it's going to continue. We talked about responding with humor. They're looking for attention, and so maybe you want to give it to them. Let them know it's not getting to you. And take charge. Take control. I mean, especially when you deal stage one's usually clueless. Might be a heart attack, a fire alarm going off, bad food, people vomiting, temperatures too hot, too cold, waiter comes in, start taking orders, the equipment fails, laptop getting knocked over, a projector getting knocked over, a polka band next door, someone in a bikini that walks in, or a wedding going on in the garden below. Just want to let you know, every single one of those has happened to me as I've given presentations. You roll with it. You go. Doesn't matter whether it's fair or not. You can't deal with that. You roll with it. Use a little humor. Identify it. Acknowledge it. That is stage one. It's not getting to you. Stage two is a point where you want to make sure they're no longer anonymous. Especially if there's a lot of companies involved. If someone keeps saying things, have them introduce themselves. What company are they from? What department are they in? I guarantee you that reduces heckling because they're no longer anonymous. Maybe you can pull them inside of the break. Hey, I appreciate your comments, your suggestions, but you let me know. Can you help me out? That sort of thing can be very beneficial. The key here, and Obama did this, don't tell them that they're wrong. Maybe you want to talk to them ahead of time if you know they're going to heckle or ask too many questions. And sometimes apology is cheap. We teach negotiation. Oh, I'm sorry you're upset. That was not my intent. And it can diffuse it real fast. Or thanks, that was interesting, <laughs> even if it wasn't. That's the point. So, you know, it's taking us off course, and I'll get you that answer later. It could be a baby crying, a cell phone. All those things could be an issue. Because you got to be careful. If that baby's crying, you can't say, shut the baby up. You know, even though that's what everyone's thinking, you can't say things like that. You've got to be careful. You just got to glance. Can I help you out? Any challenges? I've told this one before. This loving couple there. They were just kind of cuddling. And, and you could tell they were in love. And then the wife walked in. And I'm like, whoa. And sparks flew. I mean, what do you do in situations like that? You know, I end up taking a break. And dealing with it. Or the college professor that yelled at the student. And the student said, don't have a cow. She says, I don't have a cow. I'm a full college professor. I'll always be smarter than you. Well, obviously, he got under her skin. But the class will always remember that moment when you lose control. 
Or the speaker that told this one guy to leave. Go, you're not listening, you're drunk. Get out of here. And that guy left and so did everyone else because it was a CEO who was dealing with some serious family issues and had too much to drink. Calm and control. I was doing one at a university, a public speaking class. Brought in a heckler from the National Heckling Federation. Well, I tell them that doesn't exist. They think it does. And this person was giving their presentation. And the heckler slowly walked up and was just glancing at her and looking at her. Walked to the front and was two or three feet from her. And she says, yes. He says, Betty Sue from high school. Remember me? <laughs> okay. That would be in the clueless category. But stay in control. Yes, I do remember you. But you know what? I'm giving a presentation right now. <laughs> uh, let's talk later. So sometimes just identifying those. So sometimes you take it to the next step up. The final stage of heckling, you don't get there that often. You have to confront them. You call security. You say, go ahead and leave. I'll give you a refund. You take a vote. If the audience wants them to stay or go, whatever it is, you've got to take care of this situation. And this is when you know the audience is on your side. You could ask, what do you think? Do you want to go that route? Do you agree with this individual? And you could feel that the audience is going to go against them and that person will probably leave. In fact, I was doing a webinar once and there's hundreds of people on the line and this one lady unmuted herself and says, well, I speak for the group. You're way off course. You should be talking about this. And inside, I want to say, look, lady, <laughs> I've been studying this for 20 years. I put a lot of work into this presentation, but you can't say that. And I said, wow, okay, interesting. Always a great way to handle it. It's be open to the group. Group, what do you think? And man, they unmuted and they called her the B word and they yelled at her and told her to hang up. And she did, which was awesome, which I wanted, which I couldn't request. But the class can do it for you. The people around you can do it for you. So use your audience. Sometimes you have to confront them. Are you bored? Are you indifferent? What's wrong? What's going on? You can't just let it go because it's sucking the life out of your presentation and or the audience. In fact, here's a couple examples where the audience is on your side. Here's another one from Reagan. There are cities in Michigan. There are cities in Michigan. Oh, shut up. <laughs> okay. He just told him to shut up. Now, if your audience was 50-50, you couldn't do that. Again, all these politicians try to surround themselves with people that think like them. And some people sneak in. Here's another one, Mitt Romney. I don't know how much you can hear here being a podcast, but he's walking in and he gets glitter bombed. I mean, glitter in his hair and his eyes and his teeth everywhere. And of course, he wants to get mad. He gets upset. Listen to how he handles it. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce to you the next president of the United States, Mitt Romney, and his wife, Ann Romney, and their son, Josh Romney. Give it up for him, please. One minute, He never stopped smiling. They brushed the glitter off. He turned it around. He made sure the person was no longer anonymous and they left. And he used a little humor that it was part of the victory. That is key textbook heckling. Let me know if you like these audio clips. I could add them more in some of my other podcasts as we bring this all together.
So let me know your heckling experiences. Send me an email, drop me a line. I'd love to hear from you, whether it be email, questions, or hecklers that you've had to deal with and the best ways you handled those. Again, this is episode 229. Thanks for listening. If you want more on heckling and delivering persuasive presentations, I've got a whole audio course with a workbook on that at lawsofpersuasion.com. There are other training videos and audios also located there. Learn to deal with the heckler, the indifferent person, the hostile person. Stay in control. This is an important aspect of your ability to persuade influence, especially when you're dealing with two, three, four people or larger audiences and even one-on-one. Master this skill, become more influential, and go out and persuade with power. <laughs>